The Letter That Changed the World. This is part 33 in Romans. And you've got more extensive notes than I necessarily always refer to. I try and, we're trying to tighten things up a little bit. Not rush, but tighten. And so you've got complete notes. If there's something in there that I don't get to, you can take that home, and that's why you can, uh, you can study that on your own. I'm going to try and cover the main, the main substance of it. The mercies of God and the renewal of the mind. We're going to be in these two verses for a number of weeks. There's so much in them. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So bodies, verse 1, mind, verse 2, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So you have bodies in verse 1, the mind in verse 2, and then affections, learning what's, treasuring what's good, acceptable, and perfect. So the body and its actions, the mind and its thoughts, the affections to value what's truly good rather than what's fleeting, temporary, empty. It's this total transformation that's being discussed. Last week, if you were here, just laying out some big principles from this text, I said two things about the Christian life. I said these words weren't in the text, but the ideas were there. I said that spiritual life is organic and not external. In other words, you can't just copy. I'm going to try and be like Jesus. I'm going to be a better person, be a nicer person. Organic and external, the idea of the Christmas tree. You hang decorations on it, but the decorations don't come from the tree itself. Organic, come and see tomato plants, and they come up, and then you get the fruit growing on the tomato, and the life of the tomato comes from inside the plant. That's organic growth. The Christian life is organic. It starts on the inside and manifests on the outside. The second thing we said is the Christian life is and then another big word, it's comprehensive and not particular. Particular means I'm, I have a, one specific problem and I want Jesus to come and fix this. I, I have this habit. I have this sin. It's my marriage. I need a job. I feel confused. I need clarity. I need purpose. Jesus, come and give me this, this, and that. That's, that's the approach of a particular Christianity where Jesus comes to fix one thing that's broken in my life. Comprehensive means he comes and he takes over all of my life. The areas I want him to take over and the areas I'm actually quite happy to run myself. So it's organic, not external. Comprehensive, not particular. Now there are a couple more big principles. Point number one. The renewed mind comes from somewhere. It doesn't just happen. I get that from Romans 12, right in the first phrase, I appeal to you, therefore. I appeal to you, therefore. There's a, a whole world of meaning in that one word, 
therefore, or because of this, in view of what I've just said. So he's about to give, chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, he's about to give four and a half chapters of really specific, practical, livable direction to the lives of these Roman Christians. But he doesn't just give it. That's interesting to me. He tells them, and he tells us, something that, that we're prone to overlook, to just want to rush into the practical stuff. He, he tells them that there's, there's really no way these instructions, all of Romans 12, 13, 14, 15, think about this. In that little word, therefore, Paul is saying to us, There is no way these instructions are doable without a renewed mind. That's what we meant when we said that spiritual life is organic, not just external. It's not just hung on the outside of our lives. We can't just copy the Christian life from Paul or Jesus or anybody else. It has to come from the inside. It has to come from renewed minds. And so all of us ought to sit now and say, okay, where do we get these renewed minds, right? If this is the key, if this is so important, where do we get these renewed minds? Where do they come from? If I can't manufacture it by myself, will Jesus just come and open up the top of my head and put a new mind in there? Is that how it works? And that's where that word therefore comes into play. All of the instruction Paul is about to give, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, is based on the doctrinal instructions he's given in chapters 1 through 11. Only, you wouldn't think so. You wouldn't think that all of those deep, ponderous doctrinal truths, Romans 8, Romans 9, Romans 10, Romans 11, we've been plowing through them, you wouldn't think they have anything to do with peace and joy and delight and wisdom. I mean, we tend to think that the practical stuff in 12 through 16, there, that's where the Christian life is. 1 through 11, well, that's just for the head. It's like theology. But Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul wants to tell you something surprising tonight. He wants to tell you that spiritual life might not be found where you've been looking for it. He says we can get it all wrong. In fact, what he seems to be saying, I beseech you, therefore, what he seems to be saying 12 through 16 is impossible without treasuring the mercy of God explained in 1 through 11. So, the life he is calling them to live in Romans 12, 13, 14, 15, those practical chapters, he's he's trying to say to me and to you, this this won't just happen. This doesn't come from nowhere. You can't just say, oh, I think I'm going to do that. That life has foundations. It has grounds. It has reasons. And you have to start with those things. 
if people don't think right about God, they can't live right for God. Oh, for a little while, you can exercise a bit of willpower, you can make some adjustments, you can make some changes. People can become a little bit better morally, morally good people, but they will never be godly people, loving God, understanding God, having a heart for God. So Paul says that the renewed mind and the life of worship, this is your spiritual worship, he says those things come from somewhere else. They have to come from a full, thoughtful, deep, warm grasp of the grace of God and how it's manifested to us in Jesus Christ. I appeal to you, therefore. Therefore meaning in view of what I've just been saying. Look back. Look back to what we've been talking about. There's no experience that takes place, takes the place of filling the mind with the truth of God. You, you, can't, you can't sing this up. You can't shout it up. You can't fast your way to it. You can't just get it by asking for it. And without that foundation, we'll always be vulnerable and weak in our faith. I see so many Christians, you probably do too, just tossed to and fro, to use Paul's words. Whatever the latest thing that comes around. Remember the shack? How many remember the shack? When's the last time you heard anybody talking about it? I can remember people in Cedarview all abuzz. Their lives were totally changed by the shack and all the false teaching about God in that book. I remember standing in that resource room and a lady, she doesn't come to this church, she had that book and she was wanting to know why it wasn't in there. She said, Pastor Don, I feel totally different about God now that I've read the shack. And I said, I don't care what you feel. She looked at me like I just tasered her or something. <laughs> Your feelings are irrelevant to me. This isn't true. I appeal to you, therefore, in view of all of this teaching on the mercy of God, Satan works his hardest not to keep people from thinking about God. He works his hardest to fill people's heads with wrong ideas about God. That's different. Do you ever notice how the fall happened in Genesis 3, 1 to 5? Then your notes. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say... You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, Well, we may eat of the trees, the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you shall die. But the serpent said, No, 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 no. You must have heard wrong. You're not going to die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good from evil. See, the fall and the ruin of all of creation didn't just happen when Adam and Eve ate fruit. That was only the outward expression of the damage that was already done, and it was done in their thinking about God. Satan changed the way they thought about God. And he knew that that's all he had to do to ruin their lives forever. 
Paul's telling us that that same process is constantly going on. And so, in this Romans 12, 1 and 2, here's what we have. We have a, a fall-reversing way of thinking. I beseech you, therefore, in view of God's mercies that we've been talking about, let it renew your mind. Let it renew your mind. Point number two. There's a practical manifestation to an inwardly renewed mind. People who have lives filled up with the abundance of Romans 1 through 11 are ready to start living out Romans 12 through 16. They're ready because because in view of God's mercy, they are now bursting to please God. We need to train people to think deeply and biblically about all sorts of moral issues because they aren't just moral issues in the strictest sense. And we will always appear small, legalistic, archaic in the world's eyes if we're merely perceived as fighting the latest trend. Don't do this. Don't do that. You can't do this. You can't do that. We seek to magnify and flesh out the beauty and truth of Christ and his indwelling, all-consuming life. We need to teach Christian people to start asking the right questions. Not, what's wrong with this? Why can't I do that? Whenever people come with that question, I know that they're, they're, they're wrong even if they're right. They're wrong in the approach. That, that the whole issue, the whole issue has to be I know everybody else is doing this, but how does this glorify Christ? See, that's the question. That comes from a renewed mind. I'm not to see what I can get away with and still get to heaven, but I've, I've come to treasure Christ, the mercy, the grace, the love I've received in Christ. My heart is changed. I'm not a minimalist in my spiritual pursuits. So the questions that suddenly start bubbling up in a renewed mind are questions like this. You're wondering about a course of action, whether you should do something, whether you shouldn't do something. Here are the questions a renewed mind starts to ask. How can I show the beauty of Jesus to the world in this? How can I act to show all my friends that I treasure Jesus more than my own pleasure in this world. How can I prove, in this activity, how can I prove to the world that Christ calls me to lay down my life for him in this world? More questions from a renewed mind. What will stand out about my calling to be a servant and a pilgrim in this world as I take up my cross? Another question from a renewed mind. How can I show people that my citizenship is in heaven and not on this earth? See, now you're going down the right road. In view of God's mercies, therefore. Those are the right questions. But but here's the thing. Those most important questions, you can never make people ask those questions. Only people who have learned to treasure grace in Christ. Treasure it. They think deeply about it. 
They start, to, they start to approach life. They start to think through questions in a way that's winsome. And by the way, just so you know, we're on the right track with this. Jesus said the very same thing in different words. John 8, 31 and 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. Notice, he doesn't say in the truth will make you smart. And the truth will make you free. You'll start loving the right things. Abiding, abiding, thinking, meditating on the word. Until you start to treasure it. Until it starts to actually mold and shape the way you automatically view life. By the way, I have a paragraph there under point two. Maybe I should just take a second and talk about it. The place of the will in the Christian life. The place of the will in the Christian life. There's a right way and a wrong way to use your will. There's, I mean, there's a way that's more effective and a way that's less effective. Here's the less effective way to exercise your will. I am not going to do this anymore. This is bad. Bad, bad, Don. We're not doing that anymore. Stop it. Don't do that anymore. That's one way. And, and if you're really strong-willed, you might be able to clean up corners of your life for a while. But there'll be a new temptation, a new, a new struggle. A lot of Christians live their whole Christian life like that. Here's the, here is a more fruitful way to exercise your will. You exercise your will by feeding your mind with the word, good Christian books, start coming to church more than you do. You exercise your will, and indirectly, you get more stuff into your head. And you know what happens? It starts to change your affections. So now you're not just browbeating yourself. I'm going to do better. I'm going to do better. Now you're using your will to use the word, the fellowship of God's people, good Christian books, meditation. You're thinking about these things until your affections start to get changed. And then you don't have to will so hard. You start to love more. Do you see the difference? My will is used in both cases. One is short-term with limited effect. One is long-term transforming my mind. Didn't have time for that. Three. What does all this mean to the average churchgoer? That's us. You're actually better than average because, like, you're here tonight. I know it's not popular to say it, but I would submit to you that the average church grower, goer is trying to do the impossible. And most churches aren't even telling people that it's impossible. The average church goer wants to have a happy marriage. He desperately wants his children or her children to do well in school. Marry a Christian partner, stay out of trouble with sex and drugs, generally love Jesus. In fact, the average churchgoer today wants more in terms of blessing for his children than for himself, and that'll never work because the lifestyle children choose isn't based on instruction, it's based on example. Honesty requires us to face some news. <clears throat> if Paul is right... Minds, minds get renewed by the therefore. 
studying, rehearsing, rethinking about the mercy and love of God and its effect in your life, using your will that way. If that's true, then many churchgoers today are wrong. They want more and more of the good life. They want their prayers answered, their kids godly, their homes happy, sound, and moral. And at the same time, they're going to church less and less. 50% less than one generation ago, people are going to church. They want the same from God. They spend more time and wealth on their own consumption. They read their Bibles less. They don't know the stories in the scriptures. They spend less time in prayer. Get more of their religion through TV and the internet. Add to this the disturbing trend in religious books that tell believers they don't need to work very hard at anything in the Christian life. So please remember the key point from tonight's teaching. God calls us to live a life of devotion, separation, and loving, passionate obedience to Him. All of my behavior, my emotions, my plans, my thoughts are to be renewed by the Holy Spirit. But it's not an accident. It can't just be pumped up with good music and lighting. It can't be regulated by rules and laws. And you don't just inherit it from your parents like red hair or freckled skin. It's built on something. It comes from somewhere. It doesn't come from nowhere. It comes from a passionate, continuous digesting and cherishing of divine revealed truth. You shall know the truth. Don't skip the first part of that verse. The truth shall set you free. Do you know the truth? All sorts of theories of the atonement. Do you know them? Can you talk about them with your friends? Promises and commands of Jesus. How many can you quote? Any of them? These are the kind of things, that's where a renewed mind comes from. Start there. Let it shape everything else about your Christian life. Let's pray.